hello from Aaron Smith and Nancy Bakeman with the Energy and Environmental Building Alliance. We're really pleased to have you join our EBA webinar and podcast series. And we're really pleased to have uh, Reese Davis with Resource Refocus joining us and Ben Rabe from New Buildings Institute, which has actually been a great partner over the last many years uh, to EBA. Uh, they're going to talk about uh, state and local climate goals, and in particular, the New York stretch code. Uh, ben, I think, is going to kick things off. We'll be taking questions in the Q&A section today, and um, I think we'll be done in about 40 minutes. Then we'll have some time for questions, but feel free to put things in the Q&A. I'll ask those to our, our speakers as we go through. So, Ben, I'll turn it over to you, and welcome. Awesome. Thanks, Aaron. Glad to be here. Excited to talk to, talk to everyone here today. So, um, Today, we're going to talk about energy codes, the way to meet state and local climate co climate um, goals. And I'm specifically going to talk about the IRA and the zero energy uh, appendix within the energy code. So a little bit of background here. Um, New Buildings Institute is a 25-year-old nonprofit based in Portland, Oregon. Um, we have folks all over um, the country, and we... We're through a variety of different um, kind of avenues mm -hmm. to increase uh, climate efficiency within the built environment. More about me. That is me. Um, I know I look a little blurry on the screen, so it's a um, more clear picture of me. Um, I'm on the codes and policy team at NBI and uh, kind of do work uh, fits into two avenues, uh, working on the 2024 IECC adoption process, as well as supporting um, cities and states to improve their local uh, building code and building stock through policies. Here's a quick overview of what I'll be going through today. Um, we're going through the introduction now, give a little bit of background on um, climate goals and how jurisdictions can use those to meet their goals, um, what the Inflation Re uh, Reduction Act does and how it relates to climate, and then the Zero Energy Homes Appendix. All right, so I'm guessing that folks are pretty familiar with this image of kind of where do our uh, climate impacts come from on, on a global scale. So we'll see the construction at the top. So that's the, you know, building and embodied carbon within materials, um, direct and indirect residential construction, as well as um, um, commercial construction. All right, so then we base um, new buildings the two likes to see or likes to think about um, buildings um, kind of intensity and um, carbon building decarbonization with these five um, general policies. So energy efficiency, I think that we're all pretty familiar with, which is doing the same amount with less. And then in aiding with that, adding renewable energy so that we're having clean ways of reducing um, producing power to power the things we still need. Grid integration is where things get a little more complex with battery storage, electric vehicle charging, and that's paired very closely with building electrification. So we're not burning fossil fuels at site, which allow for um, things like battery storage to kind of balance out peaks and lulls. And then finally, something that we're just gonna getting started working about, working on and thinking about is life cycle 
um, impacts of the building industry. So that's construction, development of materials, mining of materials, as well as end of life cycle and the carbon impacts there. All right. Um, wondering, let's see, do we have any questions? Now is a good, good pausing opportunity. Nope, All not right. yet. All right. I will keep going. All right. Um, so I think folks are pretty familiar with the major ground that has been made with Inflation Reduction Act. But here are kind of the big headlines. It's $370 billion with a B in energy and climate spending for um, almost a billion solar panels. Um, 220,000 wind turbines and 2,300 grid-scale battery plants. It's kind of the big, big headlines. And more specifically to what we're talking about today, that is a billion dollars in assistance for code adoption. And that goes to adopting, one, the latest code, so either the 2021 ICC or newer, or ASHRAE 2019 or newer, knowing that New versions of both those codes are likely to um, come come down the line before um, this money really trickles trickles to to jurisdictions as well. And then additionally, that uh, the zero energy home appendix is um, another avenue. So the breakdown here, which surprised a lot of folks, including us, is that there is about a third of it goes to local adoption of the base energy code that meets or exceeds the 2021 ICC or ASHRAE 2019. And those grants throw through um, state and local governments. But two thirds of it will go towards the um, zero energy code um, or the zero energy appendix was the appendix RC within the IECC. So that um, we'll get into a little bit more, but um, that will encourage um, jurisdictions to move that direction. Oh, okay, we're, we're here. All right, so the zero new appendix, as I mentioned already, is an optional appendix within the 2021 ICC, as well as the 2024 ICC, which allows jurisdictions to adopt as mandatory or optional, which reaches net zero energy use with the use of on-site versus off-site renewable energy. So on-site energy will be balanced with um, on-site power production, as well as community renewable energy facilities, um, which is what we think as um, community solar gardens or uh, renewable energy purchase contracts, um, which require, um, both those require 15 year contracts based on um, uh, kind of the uses protocol. And there's an energy efficiency baseline, which is based on climate zone in the 2021 IECC. Although in the 2024 ICC, they're um, likely to be all, all the same, which um, is calculated as um, per modeling per ResNet 301. Wow, I flew through my sides. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I flew through my side. So any questions for me before I pass it over to Reese? So Ben, how do you think the mechanism is going to work with the inflation reduction reduction monies for the state that are then going to push the 2021 IECC? And maybe the follow-on question is, what do you see the timeline being uh, by state? I think we're already seeing some states start to, Louisiana, I think, just mm -hmm. went to 21 IECC. Can you talk us through what you see that process looking like and how long it's going to take? Yes, yeah. So it's taking longer than it was expected to and outlined, which is which is not particularly surprising. So we initially expected it to get underway early this year and then money to start flowing by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. I do not see that happening um, until till early next year at the latest. And then um, kind of what that process will look like likely will be very different in every state because we know that um, that it's going through state uh, energy offices and they all operate very differently. State energy offices are um, in different state agencies in different states. Um, some states it's in uh, organizations that look more like the EPA. Other states it's um, more like... Um, in, in Minnesota, where I'm, it's uh, located in the Department of Commerce, so it's likely will have a lot to do with kind of how that how that is organized. And in Minnesota, oddly enough, the state energy office and the codes work are in different state agencies, so there'll likely be a coordination between between um, those two agencies. Um, and what was your second question? I apologize. Uh well, I think the timeline part of it, which oh, yeah. you answered vaguely, but because uh, it is vague, it, it's not yeah. for certain and it varies by state. Uh, do you think there's enough money and enough carrot there that builders today could reasonably look at the future and say, there's probably 37 states that are going to adopt this and there's 13 that aren't, but you may want to start designing new homes to 2021 IECC. Are we kind of at that stage, Ben? I would say depending on the scale of the builder. Um, yeah, it's definitely worth having your head around the 2021 IECC, knowing that if you want to work in some states, states that may not have moved that way or might have taken three, six years to move the 2020 ICC might be looking at it a lot sooner um, with all that um, money coming in the door. And um, if you operate in in many states, it might be um, something that folks want to want to look into. Yeah, I, I know the talk that I've heard with from a lot of builders is that we're just starting to design to the 2021 IECC, depending on the state that we're in. Ben, talk to us a little bit more about the the net zero home addendum piece of it. Yeah, so it's a it, it feels like a brand new appendix um, to the 2021 ICC because very few folks have adopted it. But now that it's in the um, now that it's in the IRA, we see a lot of folks will move that direction and um, adopt it as a way to help uh, local jurisdictions. So I think one route that could make it more feasible in states that have a min-max code is adopt it as an optional stretch code. And then if you have a min-max code, but mm. you're adopting the code and it's mandatory, then, for example, a jurisdiction could adopt it to help meet their climate goals. So, for example, Minnesota could adopt the 2021 ICC and 
Minneapolis could include the zero energy home uh, um, appendix, which would be a substantially higher bar than yeah, um, yeah, you know, where things are at. Great. And is there somewhere that people can find a list of local codes that today requires zero energy ready, or kind of a list of, hey, it's probably coming, you know, 2024 in this state maybe 2025 here. What's a great resource for that? For um, the U.S. Um, DOE Energy Code site, which I can put in the chat, will have every code up to date on kind of what their what their base code is, as well as determinations um, shortly after on what um, kind of where their code fits compared to the model code, whether it's um, more stringent, less stringent, um, kind of the benefits of what updating would do as far as um, cost effectiveness and um, energy savings. As far as um, knowing what's coming down the line, it's it's this political decision, so it's very difficult to get a grasp on where that's where that's going. Um, I feel like that requires some some higher degree of local local knowledge to know if it's it's coming down coming down the pipeline. Great, and Ben, if you take it, yeah, if you can put that in the chat, that would be fantastic. And Ben, if you take it, have you looked a lot at the zero energy ready home monies for home builders and that that may have an impact in driving this? So there's kind of this, it feels like there's kind of this carrot stick approach, right? That there's mm-hmm. this stick, which is the 2021 IECC coming, but mm-hmm. then this carrot of 2,500 at Energy Star, 5,000 at zero energy ready home. How do you think that's going to help drive the market forward? I'm really hoping it can be a stepping stool, but um, it, I, I think you capture the way it's going to be viewed um, by a lot of folks in the, in the carrot versus versus stick approach. Although the IRA, if you're a you know state um, agency, it, it looks like the IRA I, the IRA is your your carrot right there. It's bringing in money to the state to really um, kind of pursue something, but it's it's it. it, it it will be it will be it'll be a jump um for folks yeah definitely uh just just a note if if you want to see the changes in the 2021 iecc by climate zone i did an eight-part series (laughs) oh my gosh wow yeah you know some of us ben have to be code geeks right no kidding wow well, yeah, I'd be interested to see what the um, envelope changes in 2024, what the impact will be, knowing that those are going to be lessened for some of the kind of not that cold climates, like four and five. Right, right. Yeah, and Ben, you're on that 2024 committee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, well, we'd, we'd love to have you back and learn more about what you're seeing. Yep, yeah, I, I have slides ready to go on that, too. So, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, ben, you want to turn it over to Reese? Yes, let me stop sharing, and I'll uh, find that uh, link to throw in the chat. Thank you, everyone. You bet. Thanks, Ben. It's a good segue. Um, it's as if we planned it. Uh, yes. But let me hopefully that shows up well for everyone. Um, so yeah, I'm Reese Davis. I'm a technical consultant with Resource Refocus. Uh, as part of a team with the New Buildings Institute, we've been working on developing the New York Stretch Energy Code for the state of New York. Um, I'll get into what that means. But uh, yeah, we are 
firm Resource Refocus works on energy modeling, energy code and policy development, and um, kind of supporting analyses for for states and utilities on on uh, building energy science. So, um, with that said, let's see how hard it is. Okay, great. So, just to give you some background on where New York is coming from, they have they've laid out in their climate action plan kind of these ambitious carbon and energy savings goals um, that are kind of hard to wrap your head around. But effectively, the the mechanism that one mechanism that they're going to use to get there uh, is the building energy code in the state. And so they're kind of targeting this zero energy ready goal for 2030. So effectively, that's kind of, you know, showing that that new homes built to this this code are coming in at a certain kind of site energy use intensity that when you add on rooftop solar or additional on-site generation that you can kind of come out with this net zero uh, building um, which obviously has a lot of different definitions and that's kind of contentious but the the idea is you really want high performance homes um, so as kind of the, to start that process off uh, in 2020, NYSERDA started publishing um, this advanced energy code called New York Stretch. And it is effectively built on the state code, the Energy Conservation Construction Code in New York State. I believe I have my C's right there. Um, and the idea being that this one kind of stretch code uh, that is available for all the different municipalities in the state um, to adopt is a little bit easier. It takes the the work off of the municipalities to develop their own codes and it it provides more of a singular standard for the state um, for those municipalities looking to go above and beyond the state code. Um, and New York City, actually the biggest municipality in New York, obviously uh, passed a local law saying that they must consider adopting the most recent New York stretch code. Um, now. The kind of next iteration of New York Stretch. So they they did New York Stretch 2020. Um, now we are working on New York Stretch 2023. And the goals for this iteration obviously are to continue that trend towards uh, a zero energy ready code by 2030. Um, but now we're kind of focusing on envelope performance and really trying to, you know, we're we're not calling it a passive house code and it, it's not it's not quite there, but we are trying to kind of focus on the envelope and improving that above uh, the previous codes and also allowing builder flexibility with kind of different code mechanisms while still encouraging building decarbonization. Um, and so the way that we structured the code is building it on IECC 2021 is that, you know, we've talked about that that's a pretty important code for for, you know, a lot of places in in the United States at this point and, and ASHRAE 90.1 2019. Um, the current state of things, uh, I would say, so currently we have a version of New York Stretch 2023 that's been effectively finalized and is being considered now by the New York City Department of Buildings for their local law. Um, I And that's that was kind of developed especially for New York City. We are also continuing to develop the statewide New York Stretch 2023. Um, for those of you that weren't aware, there was a recent law that came in from the, the budget process at the New York State uh, government level that is basically phasing in uh, an all-electric mandate for new construction. Um, so taking that into account, we're kind of uh, 
uh, tweaking some things in the code and also considering if there are some measures that are currently in the energy code that would be better served to be in the uniform building code. So the residential and building uh, codes that that have you know mechanical and electrical um, language that that isn't necessarily directly tied to energy. Um, and I'll get into some of that. And then just to, to show you kind of where we're hoping that this code comes in at from a, an energy use uh, perspective, uh, you can kind of see the target on the right hand side there for 2030. And you can kind of see where we're coming from with 2018 and 2021 IECCs. And then the 2020 New York stretch, which I've split out by fuel type. Um, and that's kind of another discussion around this. You know, fuel types have a big impact on the site energy use intensity of, of a code. Um, and now that we're kind of looking at pretty much an all electric residential code, uh, and I should have started at the front here and said that we are, we resource refocus are working on the residential code. I'll discuss some aspects of the commercial code, but most of this presentation focuses on the residential code, um, which covers single family and low rise multifamily up to three stories. Um, the, you can see that uh, for the all electric buildings, you know, if we're kind of targeting an EUI for this um, 2023 New York stretch, just kind of a linear, getting linearly closer to that zero energy ready mark, you know, we're, we're aiming for a, a site EUI in the low 20s um, when kind of considering a typical home. So to look at the actual measures that we're proposing um, and compared to previous, uh, the, the 2020 baseline, so the 2020 state code, and the 2020 New York City code, which uh, is based on the 2020 New York stretch code. Um, so looking uh, kind of component by component, looking at fenestration, so especially windows here, uh, you can see that basically we're proposing um, 0.25 U factor across the board for, for all windows uh, in all climate zones and um, proposing a solar heat gain coefficient um, maximum level basically uh, that didn't exist in in the 5a and 6a climate zones previously um, the other envelope components uh, you can see we're we're not changing too much on the ceiling side just adding a continuous insulation option um, in all climate zones for wood framed walls uh, we are effectively just kind of increasing the continuous insulation um, you'll you'll see that the 20 plus 9 basically means 20 R20 cavity insulation, R9 continuous insulation. And I know I'm getting into the weeds a little bit here, but hopefully uh, there are folks who, who are maybe interested in the weeds a little bit uh, on this call. So, um, so yeah, increasing the levels of continuous insulation. Um, there are also measures I'll get into later that we're taking to kind of avoid uh, thermal bridging. Um, in this code that, that haven't existed previously, so I'll, I'll get into that in a bit. Um, and then just kind of upping the floor R value requirements. Um, for foundation levels, kind of a similar story, um, just increasing levels of continuous insulation because that's uh, continuous insulation that's the best way to avoid thermal bridging um, through the envelope and uh, kind of just increasing some of the slab our value and depth that it's uh, the insulation is required to go below the, the slab. The air leakage requirements are not changing too much on the mandatory side, still three air changes per hour. Um, we are 
tweaking the language so that it's better in alignment with the commercial language. And the reason for that is, you know, if you have a three-story multifamily building, we don't really want the requirements to be drastically different than the four-story um, commercial building. So we're, we're trying to trying to adjust that and align those two, two languages um, to be similar. We are requiring testing by an approved agency. Now that doesn't necessarily mean a third third party, but it does um, kind of just ensure that the, the folks doing the uh, air leakage testing, you know, have the credentials to do so. And that's gonna be kind of at the discretion of the code official. Um, so as I said, the thermal bridging mitigation um, section that we're adding requires above ground walls to either use continuous insulation, which many of those options, there, there's a couple different options for them to use, um, structurally insulated panels, insulated concrete forms, or double wall framing. So this is effectively kind of removing the option to just use cavity insulation uh, in a standard, you know, two by four, two by six um, wall, uh, wood frame wall. Um, and so we're really harping on that, you know, need to use continuous insulation or, or some other method of mitigating thermal bridging in the above ground walls. Um, there's other language around just envelope, uh, not, not piercing the envelope with any balconies or beams without any sort of thermal break or insulation. Um, same kind of insulation requirements for windows and parapets. There's an, there's a, an alternative calculation that buildings may go through to kind of get out of these uh, kind of more prescriptive requirements um, that's located in the commercial language, but it basically uh, requires builders to go through the process of calculating the kind of um, effective U factor when, when considering thermal bri bridging impacts. Um, so that's obviously, that provides flexibility, but does you know add complications if you're gonna go that route. Um, nothing huge changing on the duct systems, but just required to be in a conditioned space or buried in ceiling insulation and just sized appropriately. Uh, one of the bigger changes we're making is on water heating efficiency. So we are um, basically requiring builders to take one of five packages that are available. Uh, if you don't want to use an above minimum efficiency water heating system, then you are kind of left with package one or two, and that's either kind of using solar water heating backup or uh, supplemental wor solar water heating or uh, drain water heat recovery and recirculation pump. But really, I think the, the easiest option through this um, section is to just go with a heat pump water heater uh, and either use a very efficient heat pump water heater or kind of a standard efficient heat pump water heater with um, one, one extra measure associated with it. Um, and that's just the kind of like keep keep chipping away at the water heating um, savings that a code can uh, can you know achieve, which I think historically has not been uh, a big focus of the energy code. It's been more on the, the heating and cooling uh, energy use. Um, speaking of, we are requiring a heater energy recovery ventilator with 70% sensible recovery efficiency in all climate zones, um, which is a change from the ICC, which just requires them in Climate zone six, seven, and eight, I believe. Um, and then finally, the the last thing that we're requiring the in the prescript prescriptive section is the uh, this energy credits, which is a new mechanism um, 
in the energy code, and that's being developed in the 2024 IECC. Um, and this is kind of a, a more simplified one from what's kind of probably be in the 2024 ICC, although I'm sure Ben can, can speak more to that. But um, we're effectively just requiring small single family uh, units and low rise multifamily units to get 12 credits here and uh, larger single family homes to get 15 credits. Um, and basically, you're just choosing from these options that are above the prescriptive, you know, more stringent than the prescriptive section uh, language. But basically, there's three envelope efficiency options, three air tightness uh, options, you know, an option to upgrade the HRV ERV efficiency or HVAC distribution system. Um, and then kind of the big one is is the HVAC uh, credits, which basically require some some level of heat pump. So. If you don't want to improve your HVAC, you know, mechanical efficiency and just keep it at that federal minimum efficiency, you can opt for the the mo most kind of stringent envelope and air tightness levels to hit that 15 credit mark. That's basically a passive house level building at that point. Or you can just take a, a heat pump um, and, and tack on a, a couple other kind of easier to achieve credits, I would say. And so that's that's kind of what we're going for here. And then just one last um, talk about the energy rating index, uh, which is an alternative compliance pathway. Um, we are, you know, based on the modeling associated with the prescriptive section, we're lowering the uh, energy rating maximum targets um, for each climate zone, but then also splitting it out between buildings com with, with combustion equipment and without combustion equipment, just because of how uh, ResNet 301 methodology ends up kind of treating these two different kinds of buildings. So um, you can see those those new targets there. Um, a couple of measures that we've talked about putting in but have ultimately kind of come out and are going to go into the uniform building code are related to electric readiness for buildings that aren't necessarily required to be all electric. Um, rooftop solar, energy storage systems, electric vehicle readiness, and kind of grid interactivity. Um, just kind of, I won't spend too much time on the results, but we did um, a modeling, you know, exercise on the kind of Department of Energy single family and low rise multifamily prototypes um, using these, uh, you know, prescriptive measures from the 2023 New York stretch code. Uh, and you can, I talked earlier about how we were kind of targeting that low, uh, an EUI in the low 20s for, you know, when this is all said and done. And for the kind of all electric version of uh, these New York homes built in New York stretch, that's kind of where we came out at. Um, and that's, you know, that's pretty promising to see that this code can can really, you know, make that big leap forward towards the zero energy ready homes. Um, <clears throat> getting more into the nitty gritty on site energy impacts uh, in each climate zone and region here um, and New York City, which is climate zone four, but uh, split out because it has a different baseline code. Um, we're comparing the baseline codes for a, both a mixed fuel home and an electric home compared to a an all electric home built in New York stretch in that third column. Um, and you can see that, you know, there's pretty significant energy savings associated with this code. Um, and obviously site energy depends a lot on which fuel you use, which is why you can see those you know, huge chunks of site energy used for um, heating and water heating in the mixed fuel homes. Um, 
I am going to jump to probably what's more important, uh, kind of a similar story on multifamily. Uh, I think the energy costs are really what's more important, even though we are kind of using site energy use as a metric. Um, this is, you know, assuming these kind of regionally specific, utility specific energy rates for gas and electric. Um, but you'll see that in all climate, all upstate climate zones, so none of, so not New York City, um, the all electric New York stretch uh, building performs better from an energy cost standpoint than either the mixed fuel or the electric um, uh, baseline buildings. Uh, I think in, in New York City, you see it's it's a little cheaper. The the New York stretch iteration does have a, a slightly higher en energy cost than the mixed fuel baseline, um, just due to the costs of uh, gas versus electricity in in New York. Um, but that is, you know, something we're still. I, I do want to frame all these results as there's still tweaks being made. There's still a discussion of whether the baseline should even, you know, consider gas now that um, things are changing in terms of the the state legislature for all electric buildings. Um, kind of a similar story on multifamily. Um, but just then talking about the incremental first costs associated with the code. There are, you know, pretty significant costs associated with this code that do end up uh, in most cases paying for themselves. But um, the biggest areas of cost that we're looking at are, you know, wall and foundation insulation costs. Um, and then that HRV ERV cost is also uh, pretty significant. Um, and so, you know, we don't want to just say that there's no no impact of going to this code, but um, we do think it's worth these these upfront costs uh, as we're kind of trying to get down to that zero energy home and really also it's about building homes that are comfortable and healthy and I think ventilation is a big part of that and I think you know survive passive survivability is a big part of that mm -hmm. um, and then just looking at the cost impacts uh, as a percent of the total component of the cost so you know the HVAC costs, when you're talking about the HRV, ERV system, the potential heat pump upgrade, um, they do have a kind of significant impact uh, on the HVAC component cost, whereas the foundation and envelope uh, costs aren't as significant as a total, as a percentage of the total component costs. Uh, multifamily has a similar story, although the water heating costs are kind of more of the big, uh, the big chunk there. Um, similar stories uh, for the percent of total component. Um, I know that I just threw a ton of numbers at everyone, but um, I guess I think what I want the takeaway to be here is that, you know, this, as all these codes are kind of reaching closer and closer to that zero energy, uh, you know, code component and and like the the zero energy appendix that Ben was talking about earlier, you know, there are costs associated with this, but um, the technology for all these, you know, components is is there and, and achievable. And I think, you know, it's reasonable to expect some of these costs to come down. I think um, also just in general, high performing buildings, you know, are something that we can achieve and have benefits beyond just energy costs. There's resilience benefits. Um, uh, associated with it. I think, you know, just in terms of having lower energy bills, there, there's equity benefits there. So 
Um, that's kind of just the the takeaways I wanted to share from from the New York stretch energy process, which again is still ongoing, and you know, hope, hopefully, uh, we'll have something um, out to the Code Council and, and to the Department of State in the coming months. But that's that's still uh, going through, you know, internal and public processes. So um, I don't want to frame anything here as fully finalized. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Reese, it's uh, it's very interesting what's um, happening in New York City in particular, but New York State in general. And I think you've got great uh, great support there for some of these changes. How is the how are the trades receiving it? I think it's. I mean, I think it's mixed, which I think makes sense. Uh, you know, there are certainly builders who have kind of you know near like over the past decade, New York's really focused on, um, you know, building these more high performance and green buildings. And I think there's a lot of builders who have gotten on board with that. And that's just the way that they've structured things. And I think, um, and perhaps for this, this code is not really for them, I I suppose I'd say. But uh, it's, you know, I think because of the costs uh, increase, and I, I will say it's not just costs, there are kind of technical like building strategy components to this you know building with continuous insulation as opposed to just putting in cavity insulation everywhere and um you know building putting in the hrv erv systems there's aspects of this that are that have a technical component to them that some builders haven't been accustomed to to building with before and i think there's also kind of a hesitancy there to you know there there are trainings that are going to be required and um just you know there's support that's going to be needed from the state, and I'll I'll just say that that's something we're act, we're actively working with NYSERDA uh, and Department of State on, and I know there's other efforts outside of that going on to just you know increase training for builders and code officials to know how to kind of make sure that these these buildings do achieve what what they set out to. Um, so I, yeah, I think mixed bag, but I think a lot of that can be mitigated with uh, you know good support from the state. That's going to be a big a big factor here. Yeah, and are you seeing training with the code officials as well so that they're becoming experts in this new requirement? Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. So we've kind of had 2020, the, the New York Stretch 2020 code as a, a first run at, at these kind of higher uh, above above state codes, codes um, where you really do have to get the, the code officials involved because, you know, they're doing all kinds of, they're just trying to make sure also that the fire codes are, are you know, implemented in these kind of life, uh, health and safety things, which, you know, you there are aspects of the energy code that are health and safety, but, um, you know, you want to make sure at first that the fire code is passed and then kind of get to the energy code. So it's, you know, there's a focus on making sure that, you know, these code officials who have a lot on their plate are, you know, still also brought up to speed on these kind of more niche energy code requirements. And that's, you know, that's kind of always a, a balance and struggle. But um, I think that's that's a big focus for for NYSERDA right now, too. Reese, does your costing data, which I found to be very interesting, take into account that uh, homeowners may be eligible for rebates on some of the new equipment that's going to go into the, these houses. Yeah, that's a good. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. That hasn't been part of the story that that we've kind of been telling for now, but I think it it definitely should be. And you know, I'm always a little hesitant with 
uh, rebates to, you know, put a dollar amount, like, you know, show that on the graph like here, but, you know, really we can erase this, this number because re rebates do change and they, you know, there are, it's hard to include them in every planning process because they're not always there right up front and right. um, there's a process that you have to go through. However, there are rebates available and they do, you yeah. know, for especially, you know, for heat pumps now, uh, like I think there's just, it's, there's definitely a lot of money available that can kind of zero out a lot of those uh, component costs. Um, no, that's really. I mean, I like the way you show it because it's not disingenuous. It's like, here's the full cost. But then in my mind, as I was looking at it, I was like, yeah, but I get five grand as a builder if I hit zero energy ready, which would be a yep. not that much further than where you're at with the stretch code. And then the homeowner is going to receive some rebates as well. So there's a potential, depending on your client, for it to net out at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. And Reese, do you follow this outside of New York at all? Because I think what we're seeing nationally is more states, more cities starting to go to these type of stretch codes as part of their climate plan. Can you talk about that a little bit? And and where, I guess it's more generally, where do you see the marketplace going and how soon is this coming to all of us? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we, you know, we do work on uh, kind of code and code compliance outside of New York. And, you know, if you're seeing states, you know, like Idaho and Montana, realizing that this is like a place where, oh, there, there's real benefit to, to homeowners, real benefits to everyone to, you know, building to these, these code levels, I think you can safely say that this is, you know, applicable everywhere. And, you know, the, the New York stretch code that we're developing might represent a slightly higher bar than, you know, than even ICC 2021. But um, I think there, you know, there's a clear trend that this is, I think, the direction where new new homes are going towards is, is just really high performance um, because that's, I think that's what people want is to live in a high performance home and, you know, have, you know, have the benefits that are associated with that. Um, and so I think it's a win-win for for everyone. Yeah, Reese, I noted uh, I mean, one thing that I think there's been a lot of conversation at EBA around is including the solar heat gain coefficient uh, on windows because even in northern climates, I'm in climate zone six, I think Ben is as well, Nancy is as well, uh, we're seeing an incredible amount of solar heat gain into uh, these buildings. So I think, can you just talk about maybe some of the background and, and why that decision was taken uh, to go to a solar heat gain coefficient to reject excess heat into the envelope? Yeah, I, that that was not an area I was expecting to be particularly controversial or require, I mean, you know, we, we try to use as much background research when we're developing this as possible, but there was a lot of discussion around that um, and on the commercial side as well. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I think in some of the modeling that we saw and kind of just general research that we saw, like we were seeing, like even in those, you know, upstate New York climate zones, five, six, um, that solar heat gain coefficient was really in those, in the summer months, really impacting um, the performance of the buildings. Or I guess in, if you have no, you know, really uh, regulation of the solar heat, heat gain coefficient on windows um 
it really does impact the performance of, of building even in those climate zones. And so, um, you know, we, our decision to kind of include that in, in a way that it hasn't been included previously in those climate zones, I, I think it's reflected there. I think there's also, we we did talk about and um, have done a few modeling exercises on, although nothing nothing to really report on uh, as a final final results, but just like when you start to look at future weather files and and kind of extreme weather, um, just the the general warming of the summers in in uh, upstate New York that you know we're expecting to see over the next thirty years. I think that only kind of helps back up that decision a little bit, but. Yeah, I think that we just saw um, three major metropolitan areas in the United States move from climate zone four to climate zone three in the last iteration, and we may see more of that. But yeah. very, cr very critical, I think, that high-performance builders consider a solar heat gain coefficient in their window as they go forward. And boy, I, I agree with you too, Reese. I've got the tattoo that says, thou shalt put in an ERV. And, you know, it's fine. I'll just one one thing on that. We've talked about, you know, whether that even makes sense as an energy measure or as like a kind of requirement in a uniform building code, just because it really, you know, at this point in time, when you're making envelopes this tight, you really just like balanced ventilation is is pretty important to have. And just having that outdoor airflow, um, not just trusting that it's going to come in through the, you know, through cracks in the walls. So. Um, we're talking about kind of how to treat that still a little bit, but uh, definitely, I think you know, HRV, ERV just kind of needs to be the way that that we build buildings at this point. That's great, uh, Ben. Any final thoughts as we wrap things up? I think that was all the questions that we have today. Perfect. I was just looking. There's a um, solar heat gain expansion as part of the 2024 ICC. So I was hoping to throw that into the chat but other than that i'm i'm glad glad folks were able to join today yeah absolutely fantastic to have you both um ben and uh and new building new buildings institute always great to partner with you and uh reese and uh resource refocus it was incredible to hear about your work on the new york state uh stretch codes and what's going on there so i want to thank you for being with us today and uh and sharing some of your knowledge Thank you for having us. It's really, really great to, to talk about. Great. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you.